did so. How much time have we got, recording time, before we run out of storage? Uh, 46 hours. Okay. We should be able to do it. So we might have thought that. <laughs> if you just come back in and swap the cards round when we yeah. run out. On yeah, Saturday, that would be great. Welcome to Read Only Access, a technology podcast exploring the Microsoft Cloud and modern workplace. And now, here is your host, Harry Reid. Okay, so uh, welcome to the first episode of Read Only Access. Uh, this will be the first episode uh, in a series covering all things Microsoft. Uh, this is the pilot episode, and fittingly, the subject for today is autopilot. Uh, in the room with me today, in the blue corner, we have the man born in Bolton, studied in Sheffield, living in London, Stephen Hines. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Excellent. This and is going to go great. This is it. And uh, in the red corner, uh, all the way from Bath, head bar. of public sector. Bar. It's Bath. Oh, sorry, Bath. Bath for the southerners. Um, Paul Sayer, welcome. <laughs> Hello, Harry. Hello. Nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. How do we feel about recording a podcast? Have you ever recorded a podcast before? I've not, no. No, I've not first time? I've listened to them, but I haven't recorded them. <laughs> good, good. It's much better than being filmed. Yes. And with 46 hours of um, potential recording time, you don't have to worry about making mistakes. At this point, a lot. Yeah, 46 hours. At this point, anybody who started listening to this podcast has just deleted it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. Um, so, I guess... An interesting place to start would be your work backgrounds and how you ended up um, doing the job that you do. So, um, Stephen? My title is Senior Solutions Architect, which I'm not entirely sure the difference between enterprise and senior. I don't know. I'll have to check the salary, but I'm not too sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be interested to check that. But anyway, um, yeah, um, I I started off as a paper round at um, at my mum's paper shop. Um, and used to do papers on a in the evening on a Wednesday. I don't think we need to go that far back. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you delivered newspapers to Bill Gates, it's probably not relevant. I don't think computers were back then. People don't do paper rounds anymore, do they? I don't think they do. Do papers still exist? Do papers? Yeah. Yes. Anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I did an MCSE in about two thousand and passed mm-hmm. my MCSE and then got a job doing desktop support mm-hmm. for like a big. Uh, engineering company yeah. um, and then moved into looking after servers um, that was in the days when desktop support when you, someone had a problem you went over and you spoke to them at their desk and helped them out um, there was no kind of remote support mm-hmm. uh, which is probably the most fun job I ever had because you oh, get to meet loads of people um, and then moved into an outsourcing company where I did the same thing but over the phone mm-hmm. um, and then got involved in looking after servers and then got involved in doing what is effectively projects, which mm-hmm. sounds a bit silly when you explain to someone what you do, mm-hmm. but um, getting into IT projects and email migrations and Active Directory migrations and setup and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Microsoft obviously took that all away with Office 365. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of took just away the best job you ever had. No, the best job I ever had was when you meet. I'd, I'd stop meeting people and, and interacting with people at that point. <laughs> and then got into moving people to the cloud and designing cloud-based business um, solutions. So that's kind of what I do at Core. We kind of look into solutions for people, trying to move them to the cloud. How can we secure it? How can we migrate them over with as little or no impact to the end user? Is how we always try and go. Excellent. And uh, Paul, 
head of public sector. Mm. How did it all come about? <laughs> kind of did, you, did you start with a paper round? No, I did actually. Yeah, I had a paper round back in the day. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, employment-wise, um, I um, spent the majority of my years kind of post post A levels working in banking finance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, during that time, ended up working with the public sector. So um, I started working with customers around the public sector space in two thousand and six. I think mm-hmm. it was. Um, and the chap that I worked for moved on to take a job with what was then Buying Solutions, which is now the Crown Commercial Service, who let all the large contracts and frameworks on behalf of the government. Mm-hmm. Um, I was slated to take over his job, ironically, as head of public sector. Um, but due to uh, due to uh, the company needs to make some redundancies, they moved a, a, a somebody who was going to be being redundant into that role. Um, and long story very, very short, the person I was working for then pulled me in to go and work with him at Crown Commercial Service. Um, while I was working there, I swapped, I moved around a, a couple of roles and jumped about a bit here, there, here, there, and everywhere, um, and ended up working with a chap who pulled me into the tech industry. So he left uh, Buying Solutions um, and went to go and head up the public sector team at Insight, so a large reseller, um, and then uh, I think a month or so after being in post, he started phoning me. Um, mm. religiously asking me to, to, to go and meet for a coffee and I eventually did and ended up walking out with a job in, in IT. So that was back in 2011 and I've been in the IT industry ever since. Uh, so spent five years at Insight and just started my third year here, at, oh sorry, just started my fourth year here at Core. Excellent, so. good stuff. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Happy yeah. anniversary. Um, excellent, good. So um, the point of this podcast series, um, we will be doing an episode Every time we do an episode, we will focus on a specific technology, um, most likely Microsoft-based, uh, and we will discuss that specific subject in a bit of detail. So, as mentioned, the topic for today is Autopilot, uh, a solution developed by Microsoft to roll out Windows 10 over the air. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, can't tell story story again. I can't tell the story again. So you actually did a really good job of telling it the, a, a little while back, Stephen, the, the core um, sort of over-the-air deployment story. Do you want to tell it? We did. We developed over-the-air builds <laughs> using the OEM that is on... Um, I said we developed a kind of solution using a bit of Microsoft and using a bit of a product called Case. About three or four years ago, we kind of started looking into this and doing a build where you just unbox the device and get it to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that Microsoft have now kind of developed their own solution based on what we were doing. I mean, effectively, they made Intune work properly, really, yeah. is, what, is, is where we had a few problems back. We, we had a third-party product doing it. But, um, yeah, Windows Autopilot is Microsoft's solution for rolling out desktops to people mm-hmm. or laptops or whatever computer or tablet that you use. And having worked with Autopilot, how do you find it? It's a fantastic solution. And I think to talk about Autopilot, you have to understand about what the majority of businesses do when they roll out a new computer. So let's say that you started at Core tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely massive on that your desktop should work immediately. You should be able to log on and then you should be able to work 
not waiting for a new laptop, not waiting for a new login. That should be there first first day, nine o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So then you can spend the rest of the day looking up and not really knowing what you're doing, but at least you can browse the internet, which is what everyone does on their first day at work. Um, so, <laughs> so to get to that point, from a support side, what normally happens is support will get an email request or get some kind of request to say, oh, Harry Reid's starting in a few weeks. Can you create a login for him? Can you, can you build a device for him? Can you put the apps that he needs on? That should come from his manager and we'll go into the IT team. IT team will either have a store of laptops or desktops, whatever you want to use, or they will go to whoever they buy the devices of, HP, Dell, Lenovo, whoever they buy and say, right, can I have a new device? That device comes into the IT team. Um, and the first thing that the IT team do with that device when they unbox it is wipe it and start again with it. Um, now, the assumption may be that that device doesn't have an operating system or doesn't have Windows 10. When you buy a laptop from a HP or a Dell or a Lenovo, I'm trying not to be biased here, mm. it comes with a Windows... Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it, it comes with a Windows 10 already prepared image on it. It has the right drivers on it. It has Windows 10 on it. Um, it's ready to go and obviously Dell or HP or Lenovo have gone through a lot of process to make sure that the drivers work, the network card works, the, the, um, the hard drive works, the um, it's all optimized, wire, yeah, it's optimized yeah. perfectly like when you go and buy a PC from PC World or wherever mm-hmm. it is you buy it from, that comes, you open it up, you turn it on and Windows is on there and it works. Um, now IT usually have a gold image that they use and the gold image is basically an image that they have built with Windows 10 with the correct drivers and they roll it out through a different system which may be MDT or SCCM. So effectively they take this laptop that has the perfect Windows 10 image with the right drivers that the vendor has made work for them and wipe it and start again and then put another Windows 10 image on it with the right drivers that they've had to go to the vendor's website and download the drivers and build an image and put it back with on the, the right device. drivers. Hopefully with the right drivers. That's one of the big challenges with that model. You, you, you have your generic Windows 10 gold image, you stick it on the device, and if the IT team's busy, it will get thrown out to the user. And then you know on day one, when they're logging in, if it's Harry Reid joining the company, They'll go to log into something and they'll be like, oh, you know, great, that's fine. Or I'm going to check my Skype and I'm going to plug my headset in and make a call. And the USB drivers don't work. And they're immediately then, you know, new employees' uh, opinion of the organisation is the tech's rubbish. Um, and the service desk have immediately got a reactive task they've got to deal with, which they could have avoided if they were stuck with the build that was on the device. Yeah. So the idea of the build is that you get the right drivers on there. Um, the build is the build that you get on a device is not locked down. The build is a Windows 10 build with drivers on there. The lockdown comes about where you join it to. So if you join it to an Active Directory domain, then the Active Directory domain has policies in there that lock down the device. So you can't maybe use the USB port if you want to, or you can't do this, you can't do admin tasks on there. It's the, it's the environment that you join to that locks it down. So whether it's Active Directory or whether it's the Zero Active Directory, that's what locks it down. But effectively, we are wiping the device and putting the same image back on it, which makes no sense at all, kind of thing, that you just added an extra task in there. And, and someone, and you think that, obviously, you're, you've, got, um, you've got a Surface there, I've got a HP laptop. Not everyone has the same drivers. So every time a new device comes in, you've got to go and find the drivers, put the right drivers on them, make sure the image is right. 
I mean, they bring in new machines all the time. So you've got to go and keep getting these drivers. Why are we doing that task when actually the drivers are already on there and the image works and it's the perfectly working image? We just need to, wouldn't it be better that we take that image and actually modify what we want on there, that we lock it down. We say, actually, you don't know that. If there's any software on there that we don't want, we pull it off. If there's any software that we want to be deployed on there, we deploy it ourselves on there. So the ideal, the ideal environment should be that you get your device, you open it up, you log in with the username and password that you that they've given you. You do any kind of hello for business, MFA or anything like that. And then your device builds. And no one from IT has to come over and see you. Yeah. Which from someone for me is perfect that no one has to interact with me. <laughs> so he's gone so, so he's gone from, from having the best job you've ever had being one where you get to go and meet new people to an ideal working <laughs> world where you don't have to exactly. see anyone. Autopilot suits Stephen Dale's no, yeah. brand which yeah. means nobody ever has to talk to him. It yeah, was fantastic so when you used to go and do desktop support, you meet so many people, it's really good, but that doesn't happen anymore. Someone rings you up and you connect to their machine remotely using TeamViewer. So, yeah. But the I but it's self-service. That's how it should yeah, be. We yeah, shouldn't so. be. It shouldn't be an IT task to go over and help you log onto your machine. It, it's not a technical job to do. It's just that it should work and you should log onto it. Mm. No different than I have an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Sorry to other vendors, Apple and Android, but I don't get this. When the, when this comes through to me from O2 or whatever, I don't take it and wipe it and start again with it. I use what's on with it. And if I want some apps, then I download them myself. If I don't want apps, I delete them off there. I use what I want, and I don't use what I don't want. Why can't we do that in a business world? And, well, and I, it's probably worth, you know, I guess just as, almost as a summary of what's been said, the experience of, de- of deploying devices with autopilot for the user is exactly the same as getting a new iPhone on an upgrade. You log in with your identity credentials, the device and the background systems then do the rest for you. So, as Stephen said, it will, uh, it, it will um, <clears throat> uh, once the device is logged in, um, it will then start the process of applying all the different policies and all the security lockdowns to the device, um, you know, without the user having to take any other intervention. So think about the time that's saved in an organisation. First of all, to be able to deploy a gold image, somebody has to build it. So somebody has to spend time getting all of the software components together, putting it together into a package, testing it, uh, you know, making sure that it operates the way they want to on device A and then obviously figuring out how they're going to deal with device B and device C and device D and everything else. That's got to be hosted somewhere and then obviously when a new device comes in, somebody's got to go and get that device. So it's got to arrive at the IT team, they've got to take it, they've got to plug it into something to ex- wipe the optimised vendor shiny build off and put their homebrew, you know, Windows 10 gold image on there that possibly isn't quite as well crafted as the vendors want, no disrespect to any customer that builds gold images, but you know, it's at the end of the day, building those those uh, images for that particular device is the vendor's sweet spot, that's what they're good at. Um, um, and then obviously IT have then got to test it and do anything else with it, and then they've got to rebox it up and send it back off to the user. Under the autopilot way of doing things, it doesn't even have to go to the office. So if you're in the modern workplace, and perhaps so Harry's joining, Harry's Harry Reid is joining the organisation on Monday, we could ship your device to you at home. So you could receive your device at home and you could log in and, and maybe, you know, actually maybe a really great way of joining the organisation, the device gets shipped to you directly from the vendor at home. Um, you've got an email on your home email address because obviously you would have been communicating with HR over mm-hmm. recruitment. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet that's all, uh, that's all been done, um, yeah. uh, you know, over email. So you get an email saying, you know, we've, we've allocated a... a 
you know, a temporary username and we'll text you a, a password, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so that you can log in the first time, change your password when you've logged in, just from a security standpoint. But, you know, you get your nice shiny new device through the door uh, before you join. So maybe, you know, you have it over the weekend, you log in, your device builds for you, you open your Outlook, you've got a nice little email from the head of HR or from your manager saying, great, Harry, looking forward to seeing you on Monday. Here's your itinerary for the day, you know, here's your machine. Mm -hmm. What a great way to join a business. And not something that you could currently do without a lot of cost and, and a lot of overhead in, in that old kind of traditional double image model. So this is absolutely the way of the future. Yeah. And the main thing that for certain situations, if you are if you're a cloud-based business that uses Office 365, cloud-based applications, you don't need any service for this. You don't need System Center to roll it out. You don't need MDT to roll it out. It's it's there already. You're joining you're joining a cloud solution. You're not mm -hmm. actually using service to roll this out. So, as an organisation who is um, just thinking about things that people might find interesting to listen to um, talking about we've, we've spoken a bit about the benefits and and the benefits to the end user from an organizational point of view if you're looking at um, accelerating the speed in which you roll out windows 10 um, at a reduced cost or at least reducing the manpower required to roll out windows 10 what would you say are the key pitfalls and tripping hazards to look out for um, if you were looking to use autopilot or if you want to start with the considerations the considerations are always what is the user going to need to access what applications do they are they going to need to access what data are they going to need to access is your is your email in exchange online is are your files in sharepoint are you in OneDrive? are they in a different app so you've got to make sure that the from a user perspective you have to make sure that the user can access that data if maybe they still have an on-premise Active Directory, if they still have an on-premise Active Directory, that can work as well. You can actually map drives back to their file share and back to their whatever they whatever they are actually accessing. That's the critical thing: is what are they accessing and can they still use it um, once they've built their machine? So you don't need to be full cloud. You don't need to be full cloud. It can work. So you can you can use this with a, with a normal Active Directory. You can build a machine and join it to the Active Directory. Mm -hmm. The only difference between joining it to the Azure cloud or joining it to the Active Directory is when you turn on your device for, to join the old Active Directory, the legacy Active Directory, you need to be in the office. Mm -hmm. That's the only difference because you need to be able to hit a domain controller. Mm -hmm. Whether Microsoft will fix that in the future, I don't know. But it, So you would have the same experience except that you would just log on to a domain and you wouldn't log on to Azure Active Directory and to log on to a domain, you have to hit a domain controller, so you have to be in the office on the first day. Yeah. But the rollout would be the same, it wouldn't be any slower mm -hmm. um, if you were joining the domain. You can join the domain, it's called Hybrid Azure AD Join, and you can do that, and it actually does work with Autopilot. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I think, um, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the bits of experience that I think we've probably picked up from our engagements with Autopilot, it's probably worth noting, um, we told the autopilot story earlier about how we'd obviously come up with a our own version of, of autopilot in the earlier days. Um, Microsoft were aware of this. We we actually took the solution to them as a what they call an IP cosol solution. So this is where we've built something on there, you know, using their technology that they then promote amongst their sales teams, and uh, you know they uh, kind of um, uh, they put it in catalogs and they'll you know and they'll talk to their customers about it. Mm -hmm. um, but because of the heavy reliance on some third-party technology, they weren't really happy uh, 
put to, to do this as an IP Telsol solution. Um, but also, it became apparent then that they were working on their own version. So I think you know, the, probably the idea of autopilot was around when Windows 10 first came out. All the all the little threads that exist in the operating system to make it work were all kind of you know baked into baked into it with the usual AD join and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, but um, uh, the and I've totally now lost the point of where I was up to. Um, I mean, during that process, when we had our own autopilot build, we spoke to a lot of companies about it, and there were a lot of them were very interested in it. Yeah. The only the issue that we had, from our point of view, is that we did it as a managed service because it used third-party tools. We had to say, yeah, we can roll it out for you, but but then we'll be looking after your desktop, mm -hmm. or we'll be looking after your yeah. your kind of end users. Yeah. Because um, originally it used Case, didn't it? Yeah, and yeah. The, the problem with that is obviously we're, we're in front of the service desk team. <laughs> we're in yeah. front of the service desk team and we say, we, you won't need to manage, <coughs> sorry, when we're in front of the service desk team and you say, you won't need to manage your desktop anymore, there is a little bit of, um, what am I going to do then? You're yeah. doing that. So we're so in front of the wrong Christmas. people. It's, yeah. Yeah. It was a great solution, but it was a solution that, we needed people to onboard into us mm -hmm. and manage it that way. Um, and to be fair, Microsoft are doing exactly the same thing now with the managed um, desktop. Yeah, Microsoft managed desktop. So, so I've, I've recovered my train of thought. Um, <laughs> I have recovered my train of thought. So um, we've, uh, because of our experience in doing these remote deployments, Microsoft uh, came to us and actually got us to lead on a project, uh, one of the first major autopilot deployments in the UK. So we've had the opportunity to, to, to run through a few of these mm -hmm. scenarios. Um, and I think going back to what Stephen was saying, the real critical factor for making sure you get this right is to make sure you've done all that planning for what the user needs up front. So, you know, one of the projects we've done with this, the customer wasn't very clear at the front, and as a result of which, the project went in circles in the very early stages because they couldn't decide on exactly what the users needed to access. Um, so it's one of those, uh, it's one of those scenarios. Um, uh, like they say, uh, build, uh, builders always say, measure twice, cut once. Make sure you've got the requirements for the users dialed in first before you even start trying to configure or test anything because ultimately, you know, that's the, um, you know, that's the biggest challenge. Running into this thing headlong without thinking about the consequences of, of what the services the user can or can't access is going to create headaches for that deployment. So, Yeah, a huge challenge that we found is network access. So you have to think about what's happening is that you, you are turning your you are unboxing your device and turning it on. If your network or your company has a firewall, it has a proxy server in that, your out-of-the-box device will know nothing about a proxy server, will know nothing about that. You have to allow your device to connect to the autopilot service to be able to work. And if you have a very locked down network where that can't happen, then your device is not going to be able to build. So the network has to be opened up to the correct ports for the device to build itself over the network. Mm. But the idea is that the device builds itself, you log on and everything should work and IT shouldn't really have to come over and see you because everything is set up correctly. Mm. And then if you have a company that you have a lot of, um, what's the word, churn, is that the word? Where a lot of people leave? <laughs> Turn turnover? Revolving Turn door policy. Yeah, basically. If you, have a, if, you have, if you have a certain businesses that do have a lot of people coming in and a lot of people leaving, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example of it. State agents, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a business so where lots of you will leave. Cool would like to apologise to all the state <laughs> yeah. agents listening to this podcast. Today. I'm not apologising <laughs> to any estate agent. I bought a house once. It was um, it, 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 it Basically, if you have a lot of people leaving, then you don't want your IT team constantly doing that. If you if you doing that, if you basically, 
if you're in Harry's estate agents up in London and you say, oh, I've had three people leave this week, they don't like the job. <laughs> Basically, your you devices, all, they, all, they, all that needs to happen is that a username is set up in Office 365 and the user can join and then they can log in and you can give them the devices that are going out there. There's no need to have a, someone build a machine every time someone new starts. Mm. And I mean, that whole desktop management piece is the lowest rung of the ladder in terms of IT support. Sorry, mm. Stephen, because I know it was start out. But, but you know, at the end of the day, the, you've, if, if you as a business have got an IT team with, with people working for you, the last thing they should be doing is spending their time messing around with laptops and desktops. There's much higher value stuff that they could be doing for your organisation. If they don't have the skills to do it, get desktop off, the, you know, get desktop off of their uh, workload um, and free up some time for them to train and let them train to administer Office 365 or to manage identities in Azure AD or, or you know, any of that kind of higher value stuff because nobody needs to be doing this stuff anymore. You know, ultimately, Autopilot um, and, in fairness, if, if you've got the correct configuration, SCCM, can, can remove all of that kind of manual, uh, you know, manual requirement away. But Autopilot is definitely... Um, it enables users to self-serve their deployments. In the event of... Um, a significant number of major IT tickets that are raised by desktop users are down to software issues on the device. Do you know what, if you've got a software issue on the device, delete it and rebuild it. It'll take you about half an hour. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, that, that way, um, you know, you can reduce a, a large number of tickets that are going into the, uh, to the IT help desk. But again, you're allowing the user to self-service themselves. And in fairness, it's exactly the same thing um, when, you know, we talk about the iPhone model. Um, I've had instances where I've had an iPhone for a year or a year and a half. Um, during that time, I've added apps, I've deleted apps. It starts getting a bit slower, a bit slower, a bit and a bit sluggish. Reset the device, rebuild it, back to you know, back to running good as gold again. People are used to in today's world. People are used to that operating, you know, that operating model. They will adopt it for their corporate machines as well as they'll adopt it, you know, as well as they have adopted it for the machines in their life. So. You know, ultimately, um, you know, autopilot solves that problem. It also means you don't have to limit the number of devices that you deploy. So if you're if you're um, upgrading from another operating system, you're pushing out Windows 10. Um, you know, theoretically, everybody can upgrade in the same day. Um, you probably don't actually want to do that from a risk management perspective. And, and Stephen, I'm sure you probably weigh in on that. Yeah, I mean, so from a desktop rollout point of view, if you're rolling out an image for SCCM, that image can take. Two, three, four hours, I think we were on site and it was yeah. but the last one we were there and they were doing it one way and we were doing it another way. It was taking five hours to roll out an image to a machine. Um, that's a long, long time and people were bringing machines into the service desk and then they would they might get like a kind of a tr a, 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 loan. a loan device to use. There's no which is no point in using it because it takes three hours to set it up how you want it in the first yeah. place and then you're going getting your other device back. But there should be no you shouldn't be using people's time. You're Rolling out an image should be something you do overnight. It shouldn't be something that you're doing during the day. The user shouldn't have their day impacted. Um, from someone who has rolled out, so we've done we've done Windows 10 rollouts, we've built up new companies um, using rolling out an image. It's not a five minute job to, to get a laptop working for someone. I think we would, I think it was like two or three hours per person we were doing it. Obviously, you're lining up a lot of devices and you're running between devices while you, while you roll them out. But it's a very, very time-intensive task to do. Resource-intensive. Yeah, well, and it? it's not <coughs> necessarily a high technical job to be doing. You are running around, you are logging in as users. But the problem with rolling it out onto a domain with an, with a, an SCCM image is the majority of the time you want to log in as the user to make sure everything works. 
you shouldn't be logging in as a user and then logging out and then saying, please reset this password for someone, mm-hmm. please. That, that shouldn't be the way you're doing it. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be logging in as anyone having access to their email. You basically, it should be very, very self-service, like I say. And I'm like, Apple don't know my password kind of thing. When I get a new iPhone, it shouldn't be that way. You should be, you should never ask for anyone's password. You should be saying, actually, we'll reset your password. Here's what it is. You log in and you see how it is. Mm-hmm. So at the risk of... Um Veering off course and uh, taking my material away for a future episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, don't do that. You definitely want to spend, an hour, spend a bit of time talking about this because you're scratching the surface. Absolutely. So, because uh, I know Stephen, you promised me a rant, and um, if I if I let you carry on, um, you know we'll be here for we'll be here for the full forty six hours of available recording time. Um, so if I could draw a line under uh, autopilot there, um, and if I could just finish it by asking you, put you on the spot a little bit, um, but if you had one piece of advice for somebody who was considering using autopilot to roll out Windows 10 for their organization, what would that piece of advice be? Um, and I'll start with Stephen. Get rid of your proxy server. Get rid of your proxy server. Stop using a proxy server. Proxy server is where you say, okay, you can only access these sites, you can only connect to these these networks. And the majority of problems that we find, even not with just Autopilot, with a lot of other Office 365 email migrations, the proxy server. Why can't I get that? Oh, it's the proxy. Mm-hmm. Think about that your think about the network in your office should be like the network you have at home. You should be able to access the cloud without going through a proxy server. Out of the box, your device does not understand a proxy server. So think about that, that it has to be able to connect to autopilot. If you have a proxy server, should we be limiting our traffic to a location where the proxy server is? Or is there a cloud-based solution that you can use where you put an agent on your machine and the agent becomes a proxy server? Whereas if you try and go to a naughty website that you shouldn't go to, Harry, it stops you from going to that, but without without going through a server with some software on it, then then takes you out. We shouldn't be limiting accessing our company resources from a server from a location. The the, the trusted trusted device should be the limit. You, everything should be on your device. If you try and do something you can't, you shouldn't go to on your device. Your device stops you before mm-hmm. without having to VPN back to a proxy server to then go out back to Office three six five. Excellent, and um, Paul. So um, mine is a repeat of something I said I think earlier on, uh, proper planning prevents poor performance. Um, you know, for any, any projects of this nature, um, the customer needs to really think hard about exactly what, you, what applications and services the users need to, to access, um, and you need to plan that and lock it in from day one. Um, if you can do that, you can have a very successful autopilot deployment and test. Um, if you don't do that, um, the, pro- the process can get a little bit painful for the customer and for whoever's looking to configure the autopilot. So, yeah, plan ahead. Good stuff. Thank you very much. So, um, moving on from autopilot, we are going to do um, something a little bit different. Uh, and we're going to do a Notice. segment that I like to call Read All About It. Extra, extra, read all about it. What do, you, what do you think of the jingle? It's good. It's good. It's good. Um, so, uh, on to the next news story. Okay. You enjoying the puns? Yes, it's good. 
Good. There's more. So, so I've selected um, three news stories. Uh, I just want to get your views on uh, on these. If you've got any sort of comments or anything interesting to add around this, the HR know about this. <laughs> these are these are all um, subject related news stories. Um, Thank God for that. So yeah, so they're in line. They're in line with the podcast. Um, so the next one um, is actually one um, that I found relatively interesting, and this this was a, a couple of months ago, I think. Um, but there was a medical clinic um, based in London um, that mistakenly exposed the identity of their clientele um, to two thousand people um, on its email list by keeping everybody, all of their patients, on CC. Now, from a GDPR perspective um, and from a, a security perspective, is there anything you can do to stop end users from making mistakes like that? Or is that just something, as a business, you just have to accept that as a risk? You can put, you, there's a lot of transport rules in Office 365 you can put in place to say stop doing that, stop people, stop someone emailing the wrong person, but then we get auto, auto correct or mm-hmm. not auto, so, so when you go to type an email then it automatically puts in the, we've all sent to the wrong person now mm-hmm. and again. It, there's a fine balance between, you could say every time you send an email that it goes to a moderator and the moderator checks your email and sends it out, but that's an absolute waste of someone's time. Mm-hmm. A good way is trying to educate your users, have a little kind of advice thing that comes down when you open up out that says just to let you know you are emailing an external person. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, there's a kind of hint, yeah. there's an email hint that goes in there. Mm-hmm. You can say you're not allowed to email to certain people. You can put rules in that it won't allow it. Um, you can put rules in don't send to all the company because mm-hmm. that's asking for trouble that you stop people doing that. Mm-hmm. But there's a fine line between stopping people from doing their job and then prevent and then preventing security. You, you've got to find a halfway and you've got to educate your people. I mean, yeah, I can send I can send something to the wrong email address. Mm. It's very hard to block that kind of if mm-hmm. I'm if I'm gonna if I'm gonna make the mistake of sending something to, yeah, to a wrong person it's yeah. There's not much you can do about that. You can have encrypted emails and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but someone making a mistake is it's very hard to stop. Yeah, good. And um, my last uh, my last news story um, is a Microsoft news story uh, on on January the fourteenth, twenty twenty. Does that date ring a bell to either of you? Yes, it does. It does. Windows um, Seven dies. Absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> Microsoft will stop supporting Windows Seven. Um, if you're an organisation on Windows 7 at the moment and, and that news will have an impact on you, um, what, would your, what would your advice be? Um, be start rolling out Windows 10. Using autopilot. Just dead easy. I mean, yeah. let's be honest, Windows 7 is not going to drop and stop working yeah. on January the 20th. It is going to work and they're just not going to, they're going to stop supporting it. I can't remember, they're going to stop bringing up, up updates out, but... So there won't be any feature updates, uh, but they, might, they may or may not be um, critical security patching, which is, the, which is the important bit at the end of the day. It's yeah. critical security patches that are the important piece. So have a plan in place for doing it. Um, Would you imagine that it's something that many organisations 
haven't thought about yet? Or do you think I think there's a lot of organisations that are probably still on Windows 7, probably on 8, 8.1. There's still a lot of organisations out there that are still mm-hmm. on older versions. There's still a lot of organisations on, out there on Office 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, upgrade to get the better features. Um, there's a lot of organisations that are a little bit scared about rolling out a new version of the operating system because they're scared of their end users not liking it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, I think we kind of need to give end users a bit more respect and say yeah. everyone's used to this. Everyone's used to it at home. Everyone's used to Office 2016, Windows 10. People are used to this kind of stuff. Give everyone a bit more respect and mm-hmm. then roll it out because people will get used to it very, very quickly. The delta between Windows 7 and Windows 10 isn't like great anyway. Windows 8 was a bit of a shocker, but you know the, yeah. the Windows 7 and Windows 10 look and feel very similar to each other. And unlike Stephen said, most people, you, if you had a Windows 7 or a Windows 8 machine at home, you had the opportunity to upgrade for free to Windows 10. 90% of people at home will have, will, have, will have done that and will have been on Windows 10 for the last, you know, when did it come out? 2015, so yeah. four years, nearly five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, that shouldn't be a reason to hold back. You will always get someone who doesn't want to, an end user who don't want to do it. You're always going to get people who are going to moan. You are always, we always, if we're rolling out Windows 10 to people, we always plan, or we're doing any migration, we always plan for 10 or 15% of people probably who will just, something's changed, they will automatically ring the help desk. Because there's yeah. no, I, I use my dad as an example. My dad goes to the Vodafone shop when there's something up with his phone. Mm. you're always going to get that kind of person that thinks, I don't know it, I may, I'm too scared to make a mistake, what if I press the wrong button, I'll go and see IT. Um, yeah. So you have to plan for So as much as, yes, you could roll out autopilot to a 1,000 people overnight, 100 or 150 of them people will automatically come to the service desk no matter how much help you give them. Yeah. So you've got to have a kind of plan for that. It's the user, not the deployment, that drives that. It's the user behaviour. So... Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you know ultimately, um, if a customer, so if a customer's still on Windows Seven, it's either because they haven't they they haven't completed their Windows Ten rollout yet, but they're in progress, in which case there's not a lot they can do but just carry on chugging away, um, or maybe you know they're they're holding off on doing it for some other reason. Um, Microsoft, when uh, they closed down XP, which will actually wasn't that long ago, was it? Really think about no, it. No, and there's still banks. They're still on XP. Yeah. St- if you give banks, hospitals, there's XP everywhere still. Um, but um, you know, Microsoft said, "Look, you know, we need to encourage people to move. We are not going. We're not going to do anything to that. That system is dead to us. No security patching, no nothing else." We then had the issue with the WannaCry um, attacks in 2016, 2017, um, and uh, as a result of that, Microsoft did actually then start throwing out some additional security patches. So, from a from a, an organisational point of view, um, you're not going to hopefully touch wood. You're not going to find yourself in a, in a massive security pickle in, in the very short term to medium term. Um, you know, but if you are concerned, there are two things you can do to, uh, to extend your support on Windows 7. Um, one of them, if you're a private sector organisation, uh, if you commit to buy the Microsoft 365 E5 license package from Microsoft, they will give you free extended support on your Windows 7 uh, platform for another 12 months. So they give you the window to, to move over it. Um, something that is available only to customers in the UK public sector is something called the Security and Compliance Package. That is an add-on for the Microsoft E3 license that gives you all the E5 security features. 
And apparently that will also uh, trigger off the Microsoft capability for the extended support. So if you are an organisation like an NHS trust in the public sector who is not allowed to run with unsupported software, that might be your get out of jail free card. It's going to cost you a few quid, but at least it means that you can continue to operate and, and, and run forward if you need to. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so that was going to be my, uh, my next question was whether going for SCP would extend the support or whether there was anything Microsoft were doing to extend um, the support of Windows 7 for customers who bought specific products. Sorry, I stole your thunder. No, no, not at all. You <laughs> answered the question. So I think that's it. I think we're, we're pretty much coming towards the end of our time. How have you found your very first podcast? Not at all painful. No? Good. Yeah, fairly conversational. Fairly conversational, yeah. You don't feel like you've left anything, anything out? No, I think um, I yeah. think we've covered everything. I think we, I can see we were delving into other sections that <laughs> we should yeah, have been. Yeah, future mean, episodes. It's, it's future episodes. Yeah. So I mean, everything that we've kind of touched on, but haven't haven't dived in uh, into too much detail with. Um, we Fortunately, will be, yeah, it's kind of all linked together these days. It is. So. Yeah, it is, um, and we will be creating follow-on episodes. <laughs> Um, what's um, what's your next episode going to be, Han? So the next episode um, that we'll be producing will be Meet the Teams. Uh, we'll be discussing Microsoft Teams, which is uh, the kind of hot application. Stephen's uh, favourite program as well. Are you a fan? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I think Teams has to be rolled out in a very specific manner. I think if it's not governed properly, mm -hmm. then people are spinning up Teams here, there and everywhere. Yeah. Um, teams is effectively... Teams is a bit like Outlook to Exchange. It's like Teams is a window to SharePoint, really. It's, yeah. it's a great thing. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank um, you for inviting us. Thank you for taking the time out to participate in the pilot episode of my podcast uh, discussing Autopilot. Please join us next time uh, where we will be discussing all things Microsoft Teams with Kat and Isha uh, and uh, providing a unique perspective on Microsoft's newest uh, and most hotly debated application. For more information about any of the topics of our podcast, please visit www.core.co.uk. Thank you for listening.